0: Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Radleck. Thank you for joining me. Over the past several months, people have been looking at government uh, schemes such as JobKeeper, JobSeeker, and the various other uh, relief packages the federal government and also state governments have had in place. In order to help people go through the COVID-19 pandemic, period that seems at the current time somewhat never-ending given the high numbers of infections that have been reported in the state of Victoria. One of the critical issues for some people, and, and we've received a query on Twitter about this one, is how these packages play out in terms of taxation. What happens if you get JobKeeper, for example, and how does that uh, impact on whether or not you pay tax in the long run during the year. I'm joined again by Lisa Gregg, our resident tax expert, tax trainer, and uh, tax writer, and everything else um, to look at this issue and a few others surrounding it in terms of how people are likely to get taxed in the coming uh, in the coming. Um, Tax season that is for 2019 20 and also for yeah, the financial year that we've just started uh, 2020 21. Lisa, thank you for joining me again. Thank you very much, Tom. Okay, now what do we got? Well, what do we have with JobKeeper? We know that people who are eligible for JobKeeper uh, get $1,500 a fortnight, um, their, their employer tends to have to pay up front. Before they get the money from the government, which is in part the reason why forms have to go in, to get a the big green tick from the ATO, and then the money hits a bank account. Yep. What happens with those funds? The fifteen hundred dollars in the hands of the recipient. We know what happens in the case of the employer. You know, they pay the employee fifteen hundred, and they get fifteen hundred from the government. The employee gets fifteen hundred. Eventually. What. A- Eventually, what happens?
1: Okay, so it's a wage subsidy, Tom. That's what we're talking about. So it's a wage subsidy. And so it's treated like um, you were giving someone money for sorry, and wages. And so we have a pay-as-you-go withholding system. Which means that you shouldn't get any surprises when you lodge your tax return. That's the idea. So it's a, do you want to call it a provisional tax? It's a pay tax in advances, as pay as you go withholding. So if you look at it and say fifteen hundred dollars a fortnight times twenty six fortnights in the year, you, that's thirty nine thousand dollars. And so you have, as a recipient of that job keeper payment, you will have pay as you go withholding taken out. Um, so you're basically left with um, 1500 minus the pay you go withholding net in your salary, which is around about um, 1200 or so dollars. You get about $300 worth of pay you go withholding tax taken out of that. So that's how that works.
0: Okay, so people who get the 1500 need to remember that that is effectively a portion of or a part of their taxable income for that particular year.
1: Correct. So, it's it's, it's it's akin, if I can call it that, similar to whatever word we want to use, to salary and wages. So, we are taxed on our salary and wages or our personal exertion or whatever terminology you want to use. So, that's basically considered part of your taxable income and you'll be taxed on that. Even though some people are sort of thinking, well, hang on, um, the government gives me $1,500 to the employer. So, to me sorry the government gives me fifteen hundred dollars via my employer um and then i give some back to them and we go well that's how it works because you get taxed on things that are akin to your salary and wages
0: okay Uh, the it's been interesting on twitter watching people try and comprehend this Mm -hmm. um and not quite understanding it. There's something there that tells me that some of the communication may not have been as good when we were going into the JobKeeper um, scheme right from the start. If people are asking why are we getting taxed on this amount, would you agree?
1: It's probably just a little bit of confusion. And I think uh, one good thing about uh, COVID is people will should be understanding their finance and civics a lot better, as I've said in the past and said before. Um, but basically what it is, is when you receive your income statement for 30 June 2020, which is in your MyGov account or your tax agent can see it as well, you don't see what part of it's job keeper. You don't see what part has been subsidised by the government stimulus package. What you basically see is how much money you have got allocated to you from your employer. So in effect, even though you've filled in the forms and things like that, really you don't know um, whether that your um, salary and wages has been subsidised or not
0: officially. Okay. Mm. If if we look at it from um, a tax agent's perspective, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of interesting that let's assume you have employer A, uh, and you do the paperwork for job keeper for employer A. You don't actually see all of the related paperwork on the portal, do you? Nope. No. Nope. But if if, if an em- if an employee working for employer a let's let's call them employee b um, is a client of yours, mm-hmm. and you're doing the preparation for their tax return. yes, you're a, you're able to see the <laughs> the other side of that which oh, no is we can't money see it.
1: To... we can't see it. We don't know how much money they've got for jobkeeper, we just see it as their income statement. As this is the salary that they're received well, from their employer. Precisely I, I mean, yeah,
0: that's what I meant. You see the yeah. you see the income, but they've yeah. actually got to tell you where they got it from, or at least or, It their... doesn't matter. But well, so we'll, yeah, if okay. you if if it's they your... if
1: they've received thirty thousand dollars from employer A. Um, it doesn't really matter whether it, there's some some of that's been JobKeeper or not. It's still taxed in their hands exactly the same way. If that's what you know, where's, where the sort of the confusion is. So we don't need to see it, and we ha- we haven't got a line of sight on it anyway,
0: which we've spoken about before, mm. obviously. Mm. Um, yeah. One of the things about this week, including the fact that we've, we've noticed some confusion about JobKeeper and how JobKeeper works, is that there are conditions that have altered uh, for JobKeeper post-September. Uh, mm-hmm. um, what does that mean for people?
1: For employers that are still suffering, they will still get a wage subsidy to try and help with the profit they're making out of the business. So even though it's not as much as $1,500 a fortnight, it's $1,200 a fortnight and it's going down as people have um, seen in the media, uh, that's the impact for employers. So if they're still suffering that 30% downturn um, through COVID, so they haven't morphed their business or can't aren't able to morph their business to, to cope in what Um, Their business looks like during a COVID pandemic, uh, they are still eligible to get some sort of wage subsidies to keep that link, as they're saying, between the the employee and the employer. For the employee, uh, if they're still doing their normal hours, they will be getting or whatever normal hours is considered let's say um, if it's over 20 we won't get into un- over and under 20 which is the changes that have come in but if they're still get, doing their their standard weight is standard hours um they'll be getting their normal salary as per award fair work employer contract eba whatever it is uh, it will be treated exactly the same in their hands. So what we're talking about is giving, still giving a wage subsidy to employers that are still suffering under COVID.
0: Um, In terms of of cash flow, realistically, given your experience with some clients, um, how's that going to, uh, how's that going to impact them going forward? Because, there are surveys around the place, and I, I did a podcast not so long ago with the head of Harris Coffee, and they did some, a bit of a look at cafes and coffee shops, and, and people were saying that they would not be able to survive without government assistance beyond, uh, beyond six months. Um, what's your gut feel on how employers that you've dealt with and, and others you've seen are going to fare in the next little while?
1: Okay, um, there's there's a few different categories, Tom, as you can appreciate. So um, we're both in Melbourne, so we're in our, our shutdown zone. So if a business is actually shut down, like one of my clients is, um, and this continues on past the September date, in effect, they're taking a... Salary cut, for one of a better term. So instead of getting fifteen hundred, they'll be getting twelve hundred, for example. Okay, so that's so that's the the dire consequences of it all. That they're it's they're still absolutely affected by COVID. So in the in the beauty area, I've got I've got clients um, and they'll be just hit there because they can't open up. They're not allowed to open up. Okay, then I've got um, food retail clients where their take is down, and it's definitely down. Um, and will could probably continue to be down under the 30% threshold to do that. So they're trading it purely as a wage subsidy. So if they're down by 30%, they're still employing people. Um, if they're employing them for more than 20 hours, as we're talking about, uh, they will be um, subsidising their wage packet. So they'll be getting more than the 1500 or the 1200 a fortnight anyway. Um, so it's just helping with um, the profit of the business, because in effect, their total... Um, take is down Uh, and then what I've got I've got clients as well that are in more say they've got uh, employees in administrative roles and what they're doing is they're doing the calculation of and this is what they've done at the moment is 1500 divided by the hourly rate that's how much you'll work Okay, Um, so it'll be 1200 divided by the hourly rate. That's how much you'll work. So they'll just cap their hours based on that. Um, And you may think that those clients are going, well, that's a little bit cheeky and everything like that. But don't forget, if the employee actually works those hours, uh, the employer still has to pay super guarantee on top of that for example so in effect they're still paying nine and a half percent on top of that out of their own pocket to do that so there's sort of the three categories of clients um, that I have um, I would say that with my clients that are operating um, businesses that have had to morph and change with the times uh, they'll, they'll probably they've probably changed their business model enough to be over um, you know, sort of to say, under the thirty uh, percent turnover decrease, so even though they're still hurting, they won't be getting any subsidy going forward, and there'll be quite a few businesses that will now drop out of JobKeeper, and that's what's being modelled by Treasury and the like as well.
0: It it doesn't look particularly promising for for a raft of people, given the given the nature of COVID and given the uh, the fact that there are outlets and, and uh, restaurants and other places that won't be able to open up, at least, at least here in Victoria for some time. Um, and that brings me to another question that I think is worthwhile entertaining. Um, and we've touched on a part of this. Uh, previously, in a tax compliance sense, we can, you know, we can obviously tell people they need to consider their tax position and talk to a tax agent if they if they've got any doubts about things uh, for their you know, nineteen twenty income tax return. But what um, what are the things people who are in a situation, Lisa, where things are kind of kind of bleak? Um, they might have a bit of time on their hands to think as well. What are the kinds of issues in terms of compliance for their personal tax affairs that uh, that they need to be thinking about? I think it's kind of relevant to raise something going forward here. So you're
1: talking about people that are not a a, a casualisation of the... The, the workforce, the unemployed, yeah, I mean, and, and people at, like, like basically that.
0: underemployed, given the circumstances, irrespective of what their circumstances are. What are the cha- what are the what are some of the issues they need to reflect on in terms of their uh, any tax obligation they may have?
1: Yeah, I think th- I think the big thing that's coming through at the moment, um, and there could be a lot of people that are on job seeker. Or, new, or the old news start or whatever like that, Tom, which I think is um, I think people are, are, are taking Job Seeker and thinking, great, I can spend all that money. And of course the job seeker payment, there's no pay as you go with holding like I was talking about with the JobKeeper going forward. So people may be seeing getting receiving their jobkeeper payments and going uh, job seeker payments and going, Fantastic, that's all my money. However, that's not quite right as well because those government allowances are taxed, as is, are considered taxable income as well. Now, when Newstart was $40 a day or whatever it was, and if you do the calculation of $40 a day, you know, you're looking at about 14 $15,000 worth of um, income that they're getting in from the government from Services Australia in that time. Um, The tax-free threshold, so when an Australian tax resident starts paying any sort of tax, is $18,200. And we've got some nice little offsets and things like that. So let's ballpark it at about $20,000. So your everyday tax resident Australian can earn $20,000. However, once you start increasing that amount, and we think that's a good thing as well, um, those Australian citizens that are receiving Seeker need to understand that once they hit over $20,000, so they should, could have some casualised employment outside of COVID. They could be, you know, bobber jobbing in the old sense of the word, Tom, doing other things and um, being a bit entrepreneurial on AirTasker or um, one flare or whatever trying to just you know make ends meet they've got to realize yeah. that that money as well as their job seeker money all needs to come into their taxable income and what they do need to be wary of is they don't get some sort of surprise when they actually start doing their tax return whether that's on my gov or through my, um, my colleagues going hang on I've got to pay back some money what's this and when you look at it, job seeker amounts They go, well, hold on, I'm getting money from the government, a bit like JobKeeper, I'm getting money from the government and then I've got to give it back again? How does that work? And it's again like I was talking about with JobKeeper is that JobSeeker, it's a wage supplement to some extent, right? So what you're basically doing is we're giving you money as a proxy for salary and wages. And so in the pure tax fundamentals, whether you know globally tax fundamentals, you know you're getting taxed on your salary and wages, your personal exertion, and those sort of things from from um, doing that work. So yes, it is taxable. So people out there need to understand that um, the eleven hundred dollars they're getting on Job Seeker when they when they finally received it, that's all coming into their taxable income as well. So when they go to do their tax return, they could get a little bit of a surprise. I think.
0: I think that's probably a, a risk for people who are um, kicking back, looking at what they're getting from government now, and perhaps spending more than they should. Um, if I can flip that question around a little bit, that we've tackled with job keeper and job seeker, are there any government um, subsidies that are not treated? as income tax, or as taxable income, rather?
1: Well, anything that's supplementing um, or or replacing salary and wages, it it is taxable income. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I'll just um, maybe flip it around a little bit as well, Tom, to just just expand the thought process a little bit. Um, A lot of... uh, of clients, my clients and, and taxpayers get a bit of a shock as well with insurance payouts. So what happens with insurance payouts? If they get an insurance payout to replace salary and wages, that's taxable as well. And you can imagine that if someone's been fighting the insurance system and uh, they haven't been paid for three years, and all of a sudden they get a bulk um, payment of salary and wages over three years, that might push them up into a pretty nasty um, tax bracket as well. But it's 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 If it's replacing salary and wages, that's what it is. However, if you get paid for um, a loss of a limb, if I can be so bold to put it that way, Tom, if you get paid for a permanent, say, disability of some kind or another, that's then not taxed. So that's the difference. So we're basically talking about the difference between what we call revenue, so like salary and wages, or capital, which is more of a a permanent thing. And tax laws look at the difference between what we say, revenue versus capital all the time. And it's been a big discussion in tax fundamentals globally on those sort of principles. And so that's how it works. And the other thing that, you know, if you're going along the lines of what's taxed and what's not, um, even things like government grants, there's government grants happening at the moment, like we're in Victoria, there's a second tranche of government um, assisting grants. They're taxable as well. You know, grants that have come from bushfires, they're taxable as well. um, If it's replacing, in effect, salary and wages or help, you know, or for the Victorian business grants, um, that's actually helping you run your business. So therefore it's revenue, therefore it's taxable. So we always take the premise that any, amounts of money, and I think this is a a reasonable thing to conclude, any amounts of money that you receive, consider them taxable first and then see if there's any way that you can remove the tax element from them. Now, from grants that were received in terms of bushfires and things like that, there was a piece of legislation that basically said, let's treat this amount that you receive for X, Y, Um, or something to do with um, the bushfires, please treat this amount as being non-taxable. So that's what usually happens. You get the money, it's taxable, then we need another act of parliament or another act of piece of legislation that says, oh, for this particular category, yep, we would normally tax it, but then we'll take it away.
0: Okay. And that's actually something people need to be wary of because... And also it illustrates something else, and that is because of the manner in which the law might discriminate in terms of the payments that people get get made to them, it's always good to get some advice because you don't want to find yourself in trouble.
1: Oh, absolutely, Tom. And I say that to a, to a lot of my clients that start business. So they say they start a business as a sole trader, um, which means that it's, um, you know, it's pretty much how you're operating as well. You've got an ABN and off you go and you've decided that you can start invoicing and everyone will accept your invoices and hopefully pay you and things like that. Um, especially if someone's usually on salary and wages where that pays you go with holding debts t- taken out, there's a lot of people out there that start a sole, sole trader business and start spending money gross where it really should be net of tax. And and what happens if you start your business, you could it could take up to, and this is seriously, up to 22 months before you realise you've got a really big tax debt. So if you've been earning good money and you've started your business off really well and you have You previously been on a good salary and you're used to having that money come in um, you could get a huge shock at the end of end of that time going what I've got to pay all this money back and that's why anyone starting a business should always it's worth it's worth investing a few hundred dollars in talking to a tax agent accountant tax professional anyone like business business advisor to basically say what do I need to be aware of because there's so many people that Cause themselves such a huge tax debt at the end of that period, and you know it it can be
0: managed. But it's just uh, I think there's, if I remember rightly, um, Michael Gerber, the the writer on business, talks about a kind of an entrepreneurial seizure where. People are so busy working in the business, they don't think about the strategic elements of sort of compliance and and other issues um, that wrap themselves around it. And that's precisely the point you've been addressing, which is if you're so busy working away and spending money and everything else, if you haven't tended tended that compliance field, you're going to find it's full of weeds pretty quickly, and you're going to have to deal with it.
1: Oh, exactly, Tom, and I—I I find that that a lot of people don't like talking about bookkeeping or accounting or things like that. It's not—it's not sexy enough, or it's a chore, or whatever. But
0: you know, you're working really—you you know, it's not. It's true. um have oh, got it's—and—and it, and here's me who likes talking about accounting and bookkeeping, and you don't like you doing know, your own you stuff. I know dumb. that.
1: I know that. Yeah. So, um, look, it. it yeah, but, I'm but,
0: great company. <laughs>
1: It's it's look, It's one of those things where you're working really hard. Make sure that money's working for you. You know, it's like the old people that go, Lisa, I'm really upset. I've got to pay a lot of tax. And I said, you're paying a lot of tax. You've made a lot of money. It's if you're not paying tax, you probably haven't made money. So, you know, that's that's a worse outcome.
0: Yeah, uh, I recall <laughs> over the years hearing from uh, from different people who've, said well why on earth are we how how can i min- not have to pay tax tax is the evil thing actually no um i remember a, a situation where there were a couple of young folks who were trying to find de- desperately trying to find ways of reshaping their business model just to avoid paying tax well if that's what their concern is then they really have to look at their business model and what they want to achieve. Because um, if part of it is trying to avoid paying tax, it probably means you're not heading down the right way of profitability anyway.
1: Yeah, exactly right, Tom. And (coughs) excuse me. I think I coughed about the same time in our last podcast. Sorry, listeners. Um,
0: yeah, very good. Yeah, yes,
1: I think I did. I think it was about the about time. I've had nearly half an hour worth of worth of worth uh, of tax waffle, and I'll I'll just have a little tickle in my throat. Um, but um, where was where was where was I heading with that before I was trying to hide my cough on this this podcast? What were we What were you talking about, Tom?
0: Uh, talking about people trying to structure their affairs oh, yeah. to avoid tax thank you. They, thank you if they're thinking about if they're thinking about the actual business and how they might want to make money mm-hmm. as opposed to avoid paying the government
1: yeah, and so yeah, so my my um response to that is I can manage your cash flow, in other words, you still have to pay the tax that you have to pay, but I can manage it through tax law the timing of when you pay that tax. So depending on your business structure, it's to do with the timing of paying your tax. Do you want to pay it early, do you want to pay it late, but or do you want to pay it you know throughout the course of um the period? And that's what we can we can manage and that's how we can um help clients that way because you know if you're running a business you're much better off getting money from your customers before you have to pay your suppliers. That's a bit of a golden rule uh so that's sort of the the ideal way of uh managing it as well and yeah if you if you've if you don't want to pay tax i mean it's easier to don't pay tax you just don't earn any income you know it's a bit like someone saying how do you make a million dollars where you start off with nine hundred ninety thousand. that's probably the best way to, to to make a million bucks it's the same sort of thing if something sounds too good to be true it usually is and that's, <laughs> and that's probably a good plug for your, your new book as well tom
0: lots and rip-offs yeah and yeah, Roids and Ripoffs, which is coming up uh, at this stage, scheduled for the end of August. So I'll be talking more about Rorts and Ripoffs as we get closer to the release. It's currently the, my copy is currently being reviewed and no doubt critiqued by a proofreader. So it's going to be interesting to see how that comes back to me.
1: Excellent. So you've finished writing all your manuscript. That's good.
0: Another one. Yeah, the main body. The main body of the manuscript is has uh, been completed. Just a couple of minor things to be done down at the back, which I'm working on at the moment. But it's um, it'll be uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, for those who know the other one, which is Vulture City, it's still available, for, via Booktopia and Wilkinson Publishing. So keep your eyes out for uh, for VC. But I will be doing a bit of uh. uh Let's call it promotion, but we're talking about issues related to scams and what people can do about scams around the time the book hits uh, hits the marketplace. That's where that sits. Now, before we go, um, this particular podcast has the distinction of being the 50th podcast in the series. So We started this back early in May, Um and I've interviewed a whole raft of people and I've spoken to Lisa probably more than anybody else. But, yeah, we've hit 50, and uh, and so that's, um, that's a, a kind of a milestone, but, you know, there's a bit more work to be done.
1: Yes, as I said, Tom, I'm putting my bat up in the air and waving to the crowd that isn't there because of COVID, but I can pretend we're on the G. <laughs>
0: Okay, it's a good point at which to wrap things up, Lisa. Thanks for joining me again this week. Always a pleasure, Tom. And we will certainly talk next week. A um, couple of the things we've dealt with, by the way, in this podcast came from queries on Twitter. Uh, so you'll find you'll find me at at T-Rablic, all caps on Twitter. So if there's any issue you want us to talk about, by all means. Duck into my uh, messages, direct messages, and I'm quite happy to make sure we touch on it. Stay safe, look after each other, and we'll catch you next week.